What is going on, podcast listeners? I feel like the typical millennial right now making this introduction outside my Nana's house. Um, cars keep going by, so this is the third intro, but it's going to be done this time. Uh, I've got a biscuit in my hand, an espresso ready to go, and couldn't be more excited to tune into this episode with you of the Circle Up podcast. In this episode, I talked to two-time TEDx speaker. A gentleman with a, such strong communication skills, he has been to over 100 schools in the GTA and in Canada sharing the principle and living the principle and teaching students how to live the principle of small consistent actions. We get into his story on being injured in high school and the impact that it had on his identity and his mental health. We talk about how to make commitments and find purpose in your life so you feel like you have a compass, some direction, that you wake up every morning excited and fired up about your life. And the final thing we really touched on is the value and importance of investing in yourself, of personal development. Both of us share a mentor in the late, great Jim Rohn, one of the foremost business philosophers to ever live. YouTube Jim, he has changed my life in so many ways. Um, And so we, we touch on that importance how to invest in yourself, how to make progress and improvements because the the man we're interviewing here is uh, one of those inspirations that only come once in a lifetime. And so couldn't be more excited for you to tune in. Let's jump into my episode with the one, the only Sam Demma. Well, this, you know, we've done a couple shows together, but a lot has changed in both of our lives. I think we've got a, you know, very similar, uh, you know, we got a similar look going on right now. We got the the hat flipped backwards. <laughs> we got the 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 Bose headphones and your quality headphones. I think the only the only difference is uh, you're looking a lot more muscular than I am these days. So I gotta hit the gym, start getting some fitness going here. No comparisons, bro. No comparisons, <laughs> Just a just a just a ape lifting weights. <laughs> it's it is true. I actually read a quote in Shantaram that I really liked because you know we do talk about comparison being the thief of joy, and the quote was, "If you envy someone for the right reasons, you're halfway to wisdom." Mm. I really like that, and it's like, well, Sam's fit. You know, I could I could look at it and be like, well, you know, I admire that. Um, what the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> and we could, you know, I could, I could start uh, maybe eating some more avocados or, um, you know, you know, lifting a little more. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited for that because Ian and I are moving to Mexico in November, and we're gonna start nice. that, that journey south and see where we can go and what the world's gonna let us do. We don't know exactly what it's gonna look like. It's kind of touch and go at the moment, but there'll definitely be a lot of time to exercise. So I'm looking forward to it. That's cool, brother. I love that. <laughs> cool. Okay, dude, I know you got an important day tomorrow. And so I'm going to get you in and out of here and we're going to get a lot of good stuff out of you. So we'll kick this off with a quick check-in. It's how we start every Circle Up episode. And the way we're going to do it is you're going to say your name. You're going to say where you're checking in at on a scale from one to 10, one being the worst, 10 being the best. And then the check-in question for this show is going to be, and I thought about this for you specifically because I know how important mentorship is in your life, in your business, uh, as you've grown 
as a young man. And so who is, who has been one of the most significant mentors and why? And, I, and I'm just thinking for myself how that must be a challenging question for you because in all these different stages, you must have had a significant mentor, but I'll let you share that for the audience. So I'll start just to give you an idea of what it looks like. It's Andrews. I'm checking it at a 10. And the most significant mentor, uh, there are so many. I would say the one that really stands out for me right now is my good friend, Ryan McGurr. He was sitting in the audience in my very first Toastmasters meeting. I, I walked into that, that uh, session. And as you've been a Toastmaster before, there's a table topic, so an improv two opportunity. And I spoke improv. And after the meeting, he came up to me and he said, I think you're awesome. Uh, I'd love to mentor you. And that was a huge confidence boost for me because he was by far the strongest speaker that I had ever seen in my entire life. Like Jim Rohn's a phenomenal speaker. I'd never seen him speak live. But when I saw Ryan speak, I was just totally blown away. And that first coffee meeting led to years of friendship, but he gave me some advice um, that inspired me to do a lot of the living. Uh, he was the one that taught me what gravitas is. <laughs> and I, you and I have talked about gravitas in the past. And so it's just like, just going, going and having experiences and living your life and, and having a full life. And so he was a huge inspiration for me as the first person that ever inspired me to try psychedelics. And so, uh, you know, my life would not be the same if it were not for Ryan McGurr. So that's, that's awesome. Cool. Shout out Ryan. Make sure you send him the podio, the podcast audio after. Will do. I, myself. I am Sam Demma. I am checking in at a seven and a huge mentor in my life. There's been dozens right now. I'll, I'll just be current. The one that's currently having the big impact on me, his name's Chris Cummins. And he's been a speaker for 20 plus years. I met him because he was emceeing my TEDx talk. And we connected after the talk and had a couple phone calls, which led to a cool relationship, which led to a more formal business relationship slash mentorship. And he's just a, he's a well of wisdom. And whenever my ego rears its head, he's very quick to check me, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. one of the most important that. things. Yeah. So I would say shout out Chris and I'm at a seven because my tongue is killing me. If it sounds like I have a lisp, it's because there's a bubble on there and I'm not, I wasn't taking care of myself as best I could earlier this week. So. Got it. Well, I think we'll talk a little bit about self-care um, and making sure that you're doing what you need to do. And it's going to be individual for everyone on this show. Uh, Cause I know that as a, an entrepreneur, as someone that's growing a business, as someone that has, uh, you know, charity work, nonprofit work, you've got a lot going on in your life. And so that necessity to take a step back, take care of yourself, uh, super important. And I did in this introduction, talk a little bit about your background. Uh, and I, so I, I'm hopefully, you know, we got the audience's attention. There's this, uh, Anthony Robbins quote that I really like where it's like most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and uh, over uh, and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And when I think of Sam Demo, when I think of you, man, like I, I think like that doesn't even apply to you because I like every time I see what you're up to, you're always getting after it. You're always making so much progress. You're always moving forward. And it's really inspiring for me, uh, for a lot of people, you're only 20 years old. And so it's, I always feel like I'm trying to catch up to you. And so uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I think the first place that I'd like to start with you is, um, you know, both for both of us, high school was a really important experience. 
and you were a superstar soccer uh, athlete and you had some challenges when you were in high school. Uh, you had a big dream and you had some setbacks. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? Because no matter what the adversity looks like, everyone experiences it. And I think, you know, that was a big challenge for you. And I think you handled it really powerfully. Absolutely. To kick it off for the record, I'm actually 21 now. I just want to make sure I know it's not that big of a difference, but <laughs> I'm 21 and Yo, legal everywhere. Yeah. That's what all my aunts and uncles texted me and I responded back saying, okay, well, when are you going to take me somewhere? <laughs> nice, nice. Maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Back when I was in high school, back when I was a little kid growing up, I had one goal, one dream, and that was to be a pro soccer player. By the time I was 17, I had spent four years in high school sacrificing everything about the typical high school student experience. By the time I was 17, I had a full-ride scholarship to Memphis University. It was going to be an amazing experience. It was going to be a fully paid-for experience, and unfortunately got cut short due to three major injuries and two knee surgeries over the span of a year and a half that forced me to reevaluate my life, have to adjust what I wanted to do. It forced me to change my trajectory and change my dream. And it was actually the wisdom of my grade 12 world issues teacher, Mike Loudfoot, who taught me that a small action can make a massive change that led me down a totally different path. And upon recent reflection, I started to realize that the real life-changing experience wasn't actually a lesson he taught me, but it was the applied lesson. So it was through volunteerism that I started to find myself again. It was through giving back to others. And there's a quote that says, when you want to heal your hurt, help others. And I think it's so true. One of the biggest, one of the biggest things I wish I could change if I could go back in high school, and then not myself, but something that other people did, and I'm hoping to change it in the future, is when we start grade nine, our principal or teacher of our first period class gives us this little sheet that says you need 40 hours to graduate high school. And there's a little mm -hmm. checkbox. And they hand you this sheet with no instruction. And they say, go volunteer, check this checkbox, and you'll graduate high school. I think there are so many benefits to volunteerism. There's so much positive impacts, not only on yourself, but on everyone else involved. There's no loser in philanthropy. And I wish they conveyed it a little bit better because it, it helped me rebuild myself when I was broken. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My sister and I were both really into swimming when we were younger. So I think I had like 100 plus volunteer hours working with um, the Special Olympic swimmers in Aurora. They mm -hmm. were called the Special Ducks. And we went in there every Friday for my entire high, high school experience. And we taught swimming lessons to people with special needs. And so, you know, that act of giving back has, has continued throughout my life. And it started there. Uh, and I think a lot of people brush over it as you're saying. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And like you asked me, how did I overcome the obstacles? It was through volunteering that I overcame the heartache that came with having to stop playing sports and having to give up soccer. It was through pouring my passion into pick waste, which was the initiative that came out of the injuries, which is an initiative based on the theory of small actions, which was picking up garbage for one hour once a week. It was that project that absorbed all the energy that would have gone into soccer and allowed me to build a totally different persona or personality and future, essentially, because that led to speaking and a whole bunch of other stuff. And now I'm really diving deep during this year, and you already know why, to try and really uncover what it is I'm trying to share with the world. And 
how I really want to position myself and be of service to others. So, well, there's no shadow of a doubt, man, that you are in service of others, especially young people. Uh, before we get into what the high performance student looks like, because I'm excited to talk about that, I want to talk about the type of commitment that was required of you when you were a student to have this dream of becoming a professional athlete and getting this scholarship. Because I think we can't brush over how much of your life and how much of your energy and your spirit was dedicated to that. Because, you know, that must have just been such a huge blow. Um, you know, to your identity of a, as, a, as a human being, as Sam Demma, like you must have had to reinvent yourself. So can you just really quickly talk about what was the kind of schedule that you were putting yourself through and the other uh, pe your peers that, that had this similar dream, what were they putting themselves through uh, to try to become a professional soccer player? I have to explain first that I was a huge Rocky fan growing up. <laughs> I'm half Italian, half Greek, and hey. I can literally, I could show you the poster on the wall. It's in my gym right now in the basement. And watching those movies always inspired me to train and get up early. So all throughout high school, because of Rocky's influence, I love jogging. I love skipping rope. I love push-ups and sit-ups because it was the budget workouts he would do when he was in Russia in a cold little cabin training for his fights that inspired cool. me to do the same things. So outside of scheduled practices, I would always wake up 6, 6, 30, 7 a.m. before school, go jog around the block, push-ups, sit-ups, go to class 9 until 3 after class ends, get in the car, drive to Vaughn, which is about an hour, 15 minutes from my school in Pickering. And whoever's listening, it's outside of GTA. You have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> it doesn't really matter where it is. It's just an hour and 15 minute drive. <laughs> get to practice, two hour practices, get home. You know, it's already about four to six is practice. Get home at seven, seven thirty, eat dinner, do homework. It's already nine, nine thirty. And I wanted to maintain a high average. So it took me two, three hours every night of work. So I would get to bed at 10, 1030, wake up, do it all over again. My coach believed that we had to practice every day. So this was Monday to Friday wow. and we have games on the weekend and I didn't drink. I didn't party, didn't have large groups of friends, didn't ever own a gaming console. No PS4, PS3, PS2, Xbox. I had my email address. I was so attached to soccer. My email address was soccer Sam 99, something I shared. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I know anyone listening had a similar experience when they were kids. They probably had like ballerina one, two, three or whatever they used, but For sure. you're right. My identity was solely attached to the sport of soccer. And I thought if I wasn't an excellent athlete, that I was worth absolutely nothing. I believe that if my parents didn't see me as an excellent athlete, if my peers didn't see me as an excellent athlete, if my teachers didn't revere me as this, prodigy who's going to go one day and play pro soccer then i had nothing to value the world and because everyone expected it of me it just placed that much more pressure on me to make it happen and when it couldn't happen it felt like i lost who i was i had a period of time where after soccer was gone i didn't want to leave my house i didn't want to talk to friends didn't want to talk to family i resented the sport so much i didn't even want to watch it on tv and i didn't know what to do with my life Imagine you train for something for 13 years, 14 years, and then you can't do it anymore. I know you had similar experiences with gymnastics, and you also had that one period of time in your life when you wanted to speak so bad and you had an injury to your throat, you couldn't even talk. And mm -hmm. um, it just rips you apart. You just don't know what to do with yourself. And it made me realize that 
our self-worth as human beings isn't attached to an exterior activity. We're, we're worth something because we're born. Like we all have the same worth as human beings. Nothing makes someone worth more than somebody else. We're all equal. And the biggest injustice was allowing myself to tell myself that I have none now because I can't play soccer. And yeah, that was really the battle and the journey through sports. And the reinvention came again afterwards with my teacher, Michael Loudfoot, who's now retired in his mid-60s, gave back in a huge way when he was still a teacher. And he lived his philosophy because over the 20 years he taught, he had run the food bank campaigns every single year where the school would donate food. He would organize it every year. And over 20 years, uh, a million pounds of food donated. Wow. <laughs> and he got a huge reward when he retired. And it just goes to show that if you do something small every day, every month, every year, it, it leads up to a big change. So. Yeah, I appreciate you you sharing that that story. I mean, a lot went into that dream and it was, you know, you know, almost unfairly it seems taken away. There's really nothing you could do about it. One of the things that Alan Watts talks about, uh, he's a a philosopher that tried to make eastern philosophy available and accessible for the western culture was that nothing about your life could have turned out any other way than it did to right now as soon as you're listening to this everything that happened happened exactly how it had to happen there's no other way it could have been and so like you almost show up there and you're like how the hell did i get here but you start to pick ways from there uh, the reason why i wanted to bring that up is because you know you're you're teaching, you're a, a coach or a mentor, you know, a role model for a lot of these students in the high performing students program. Um, we're going to definitely cover that on the show. But a lot of them, you know, they did, you know, a lot of them aren't in that position that you were in that had a vision, had a dream was going for a goal. I feel like a lot of the challenges that young people are facing is, is quite the opposite. They like, I have no idea what I should be doing with my time, what I should be doing with myself. I got a Facebook message the other day from someone I went to uh, Georgian college with. And he just said, like, I'm really struggling right now because I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I always start with, you know, what do you want to do right now? Right? What do you want to do today? How do you want to live your days? But can you can you talk to me a little bit about your experience talking to students now? Because you've spoken to, I don't know, what, hundreds of hundreds of schools? I would say around 100. That sounds about right. <laughs> so like you've spoken to hundreds of schools as a speaker. You have hundreds of students in your, um, your high-performing students program. When students come to you, how often do you get the, the question like, Sam, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, I don't know what to do with my life. Does that ever come up? It does. And I think the main piece of advice that I give, and I'm no book of answers or encyclopedia or have all the right things to say, but I always suggest there is no right thing to do with your life. A lot of kids think there's a right thing and a wrong thing to do. You weren't born with an innate purpose. You create purpose. You decide what's going to be purposeful for you to do, and you do that thing. No one can give you purpose. Um, you have to create it yourself. And when something, when you complete a task to the fullest extent that you got purpose from it and it no longer brings you that purpose or brings other people purpose, you put that task to rest and you, rest and you start something new. And I think that's a great point as well, because we're always evolving. Your purpose isn't a single thing in your life. It's always going to change. As long as you roll with the punches and, and continue growing, the, re the main reason why something stops bringing you purpose is because you outgrew it. And now you have to start something new or do something bigger or do something different. And 
That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is how can you know if you, what you like if you haven't done anything? And it's not my advice, it's Gary Vee. She said, imagine life was a buffet. The only way you figure out the food you like is by grabbing one big ass plate and putting a little scoop of every single thing in the buffet and you have to taste it all and you realize some taste like crap, some taste amazing. Whatever tastes good, you go back and get more. It's the same thing with figuring out the work that you want to do or where you want to go. So, I see that in dating too. Like A lot of people don't give themselves an opportunity to meet people. Uh, you know, they maybe meet one person or two people and they try to judge whether or not um, they're prepared to be in a relationship based off those two people. It's like, how do you know, you know who you like? How do you know what kind of personality you really are compatible with unless you try to meet multiple people and see what it's like? Um, I don't want to go into that right now, but that is something that's, that's on my mind all the time. I want to come back to a quote that I love, which is the degree to which you are committed is the degree to which you are not addicted. Mm. And the opposite is true. Um, the mentor that taught me this, he said it's called the, the, cosmic, the tragic cosmic joke, which is the degree to which you are addicted is the degree to which you are not committed. And so you, you hurt your knees multiple times. You had this big dream uh, and all of a sudden it's not possible anymore. That space that kind of void that's created is where addiction can really grab onto someone. Um, and that could manifest in tons of different ways. It can manifest in the form of, uh, you know, drug abuse, um, uh, food addiction, uh, addiction to, to procrastination, maybe sleeping in all sorts of things. Um, but instead of that, you found something to be committed to. This goes back to your previous advice about like creating meaning in your life. So you were, you were walking along the street one day in school after you'd hurt your leg. Can you tell us a little bit about how Pick Waste got started and how you found commitment again? Yeah, and I think it's really important to highlight that I created it. And, you know, find it sounds like a kid has to go on some exterior journey and open a treasure chest. And I want to just make it clear that you won't find it. There's no lightning strike like the Bible when Paul, Paul and Saul are walking down Damascus and lightning strikes in front of him and all of a sudden he has a revelation. No, you have to create it yourself. My teacher taught me this lesson that a small action can make a massive change. And I started asking myself, okay, what small action can I take? And I started walking home and I saw a lot of garbage after 14 days and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to pick up this piece of trash. And then it started clicking in my mind, well, if I walk home and there's lots of garbage, this is a small action. This can be my personal theory or my personal experience to put my teacher's theory to the test. And I started picking up trash. At this point, I still didn't have any plans. I just wanted to do this as an initial action to see what would happen. Four months later, my buddy saw me. His name was Dylan. He's like, yo, Sam, let's do something with this. We started formally meeting up every Saturday morning to pick up garbage. And that's what led to the Wastemans. <laughs> that was our initial <laughs> name. <laughs> Beautiful. And we would just pick up garbage with young people. And uh, then we rebranded to Pick Waste because I live in a city called Pickering and we pick up trash, good marketing. And we started picking up garbage every Saturday morning, one hour, once a week. And that led to filling over 1,700 bags of trash, doing over 180 cleanups. At one point, we had four volunteer teams in four different in four different cities and that led to speaking principals started reaching out saying hey can you come inspire our kids and that led to a full-fledged career in speaking youth empowerment and soon soon to be in in volunteerism in some way shape or form i'm still trying to figure it out <laughs>
Yeah, man. We're all, we're all just kind of trying to figure it out, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm happy that you're figuring it out is leaving the world better than you found it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really proud of you for the work you're doing. I'm really proud of you for uh, the inspiration you give people in your life, people like me. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about your, you know, you're starting to pick up garbage. You're not really sure where it's going to go. Um, and now you're going into schools and you're sharing about pick waste, but is the, is what you're really sharing about, Hey, Hey, if we all just pick up garbage, then there'll be less garbage around or what's really the message that you were trying to deliver to these students when you were speaking at their schools. So the, the picking up garbage piece is the case study to the principle. The principle is that a small action can make a massive change. The message is that if there's something in the world that you aren't pleased with, that you want to change, something about yourself that you're not pleased with, that you want to change, that's in your control to a certain degree, then take a small action towards it every single day and watch what happens. And it's an inspirational story. It's a story that inspires hope in young people to the point where hopefully they decide there's a problem they want to change and they start taking these small steps towards its solving. And a perfect example is I did a seven-week training with the Durham Region Youth in Policing over the summer. And we had a group of young girls decide they wanted to do something for Beirut, the explosion in Lebanon. And... I didn't do anything. I can't take any credit for for what they built. I inspired them, planted a seed. They watered it every day. They asked me a couple times, hey, Sam, can you help us write a press release? I'm like, yep. Hey, Sam, can you send us your media contacts? I said, yep. And lo and behold, they do a car wash that gets featured on national news, and they raise $6,000. And I remember the feeling driving through it and paying them the 30 bucks to wash my car. I was like, this is crazy. So... You asked me what's the purpose of the speech. It's to inspire kids to get out there in the, in the world and, sh- and change something, make some noise. And when it's not a social problem they're passionate about, but maybe they're overweight or maybe they're dealing with something or maybe they want to change how much they use social media or maybe they want to get rid of their own personal addictions, it's a message to inspire them to change themselves. So it could be to change others, change the world, or change yourself. And that's the real purpose of why I go into a school. And if kids want to help with pick waste, they're more than welcome to. They'll earn volunteer hours. But the bigger message is just about the principle itself. Yeah, I think the principle is important, especially for young people. What I am curious about is there's some adults that listen to this podcast. I know that you've gone into adult audiences before. I know you made a, a, a great connection that's been an awesome mentor to you in the real estate business. And he's brought you in to speak to his uh, you know, his, his real estate uh, agents and their sales teams. Is this message of small, consistent actions that theme, that principle, does it apply to, to guys like me? Does it apply to, you know, adults maybe in their, you know, forties, fifties who are, you know, been in a career for 15 years or have kids? Does it still apply? Why wouldn't it is what I would say. I think the most important thing to do at any stage in life is to forget everything we already know. Jim Quick, he's a brain expert, talks mm-hmm. about memory and learning faster. He has an acronym. He calls it FAST, about how to learn quicker. <laughs> and the F stands for forget. And he says the quicker you can forget what you know about a subject is, is the fastest way to learn more about it. And it just blew my mind. So any person listening thinking, yep, I know this, I've already heard it. 
But if you're not taking consistent small actions every day or consistent action, forget the word small. Consistent is the most important piece. If you want to look better and be fit, but you're not touching the gym every day, then you're not living the principle. Then it, you know, yes, you can learn from it. Absolutely. Every single one of us can. The other piece is sales calls. You know, if you're a person who's in business, identify the action that gets you the most return on investment. For me, it was picking up the phone. If I don't do it, I know I'm not going to be in a school speaking. I don't care how many YouTube videos I post or, you know, high performing student things that I sell. I need to pick how up many the snippets phone. on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So ask yourself, what are the most important actions and double down and commit to those things. And absolutely it'll apply to anyone else's life for sure. That's a perfect segue. Thank you for making my job super easy. <laughs> I was going to ask you about uh, your, your speaking business, um, not necessarily for, other people listening to this podcast that are interested in being public speakers necessarily, but for taking uncomfortable actions, right? You've identified that the single most important action for me being successful in my speaking business is to make sales calls. And that is extremely uncomfortable for anyone that's ever been in sales. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's challenging. You're, you know, you're, you're pretty much fearful. You got to say, fuck it every time you dial. So I'm just wondering for you, um, when it comes to taking uncomfortable action, how do you get yourself in the mindset of taking that first step of getting some momentum? What's your process there? It's a great question. I'm actually reframing the common phrase about doing things that are uncomfortable as well. And I had a great call with this guy named Mark Sharonbrock who's been speaking for 40 years and he gave me some amazing advice. He said, go on YouTube and watch what every speaker is doing. Watch the common phrases, watch their videos, what they look like and don't do any of it. <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant because it's the whole idea of differentiate or die. And so I think the topic of comfortability, it really stems to confidence because what is uncomfortable action? It's things that we're not confident in. Things that we're confident doing are comfortable to us most of the time because we've done them so many times. We know that we're good at them and we'll get up and we'll do them and we'll call them comfortable. So the real question is, how do you do things that you're not confident in? And the only way to increase confidence is to do the thing. There's no other way to get around it. So you suck at dancing salsa. <laughs> you're on your how, how dare you sam <laughs> <laughs> you how laugh. dare you point out my weak spot <laughs> no man now you're grooving but you know, dude i haven't taken lessons I'm for teasing. so long you could crush so me so bad <laughs> you could so crush bad. me you you suck at something you decide okay i want to improve at this there's no shortcut so i think the biggest thing i do is tell myself sam you say you want to impact kids you say you want to become a speaker the only thing you can do to get more confident in sales calls is make sales calls. So I'll either suck and suck for a little while until I'm good, or I'll just never be good at it because I decided I'm not going to give it a shot. And the latter for me is not an option. I want to, I want to do this. I truly want this. And so I think the, rem the reminder that there's no shortcut is the biggest thing that keeps me going when I know I'm doing something that I'm not, that I'm not confident doing. See, the other thing is I record all my sales calls. I think when you suck at something, you should measure it very closely. And I listen back to them. I take notes. I have a sales journal. I've invested in sales coaching. I suck at it. So why not, you know, get better? So those are the, those are the things I would say that help the most. And then lastly, accountability, which is something that I know is huge in the circle of community. Having someone who check in on me once a week saying, hey, bud, 
what are you doing? Did you make the 50 calls or not? Why not? How can I help? You know, what's holding you back? Take a 10 minute freezing cold shower. Cause that was your, that was your, that was your consequence, consequence. for not following yeah. through. So those are the three things that helped me the most. I would say get rid of the word comfortable and uncomfortable. Cause it's so hard to define. If something is giving you difficulty to follow through, it's cause you lack confidence in it. Develop the confidence by sucking at it, by getting coaching and by tracking and holding someone, getting someone to hold you accountable. Brilliant, man. I was listening to an audio with uh, my roommate Ian Gabriel on our way up to Owen Sound. Um, we were with his mom in the car and it was talking about um, this condition called agoraphobia. And he was describing a situation with a woman who went to the mall and when she was at the mall, had a panic attack. Mm. And so she left. She had, you know, her heart rate was elevated. She was clutching her chest. She thought she was having a heart attack. When she got home, she realized she wasn't. It was okay. She was going to get over it. A couple days later, she realized she never got the things that she wanted to from the mall. And so she decided to get in the car and drive over there. And she started experiencing on the way the same symptoms that she had. Her heart rate was going up. She started to feel some tightness in her chest. And when she was on her way there, she actually was so nervous and was having a panic attack, which anxiety attacks, panic attacks are very common. Um, she decided that she would drive home. And the speaker was talking about the biology of the neural pathways where when we see something that's uncomfortable and then we do not face it, so it's basically we create these dragons in our life where we go and we slay them. However, if we shy away from them, we hide from them, it actually reinforces that that behavior is dangerous. Mm. And so by not facing it, she is telling herself uh, unconsciously and through her biology that going to the mall is a dangerous activity and I avoided it and I did the right thing. Um, and so by not facing those fears, by you not making those calls, you're actually making it more challenging in the future to be able to do that. It's a great, it's a great analogy. It's like, I think I heard one time the analogy of a skier going down a hill, whatever action you decide to do. I, you might've told me this actually. <laughs> I think it was on the speaker slam stage. Maybe it was probably, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to come to speaker slam. Go ahead. No, you do a better job explaining it than I do. So why don't you just share the analogy? <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I actually borrowed this analogy from uh, research on psychedelics. So if you're interested in what the research looks like, it's, it's basically the, the actions you take every day become deep rivets and grooves. And so imagine yourself skiing down a hill. Um, every day you take the same actions. Every day you have the same routines. And so your grooves get deeper, deeper, deeper. Mm. And um, you know, by taking psychedelics, it's an opportunity for fresh powder, fresh snow to come on the, on the hill so you can make new decisions. The neuroplasticity in your brain gives you the space to be able to try something different without the restrictions and those deep grooves from your past uh, routines and habits. I don't know where you were going with it. So feel free to fill, in, fill us out from there. Yeah, no, I think it's a great analogy. I, I was using the same type of thing minus, I didn't know the psychedelics is where you got it from the first time. <laughs> I was just using it along the, the grooves of whatever you do over and over again, gets stronger. So mm -hmm. you decide that you're not going to do something that groove, like you said, gets deeper in your brain, uh, that you're not going to do it. Um, whereas you do something every single day, again, the pathway, the neural pathways grow stronger as well, and you're probably going to do it again. So 
Yeah, I can't remember exactly how you used it on the stage the first time, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, it was it was basically like, you know, you're living your life and you're going down these grooves and they get deeper and deeper. But when you come to Speaker Slam, it's an opportunity for there to be some inspiration and for you to make new decisions about your life and how you're going to live coming out of these events. So shout out to Rena and Dan for uh, creating a space for people to make new decisions. Uh, the In case people are wondering, that analogy comes from a podcast I heard between Joe Rogan and Michael Pollan talking about his book, How to Change Your Mind, which is a book on psychedelics. Um, you touched on something that I want to cover as we kind of round out this podcast before we talk about the number one most exciting thing going on in your life, which is high-performing student, and that is uh, investing in yourself and personal development. We started the podcast talking about mentorship and mentorship can come in a ton of ways like uh, informal, you have you know coffee, lunch with someone that you admire, uh, maybe a quick phone call with someone you admire. There's also where you know someone's a professional and you pay them to consult with you or you pay them to coach you so that you can improve. And the reason I want to bring it up is just as much for the listeners who are not sure whether or not they should be investing in themselves and doing personal development and, you know, kind of more selfishly for myself, because I listen to a lot of Jim Rohn and Jim Rohn is the number one uh, person in my life that has told me, Jonathan, invest in yourself. It's why I read books. It's why I go to seminars, but I, I always have this kind of this friction, this resistance towards parting with my money to directly impact a skill that I want to learn. And one of the things I admire about you most is that you do not seem to have that issue. Um, you invest in yourself to make yourself grow, whether it's your public speaking business or what have you. So how do you think about making investments in personal development? It's a great question. The first thing is I remind myself that I don't know what I don't know. And there's people ahead of me that know what I don't know. And the only way to access that information is to ask them questions. And sometimes the gateway to those questions is a paycheck. So how can I expect someone to coach me and teach me and turn me into a successful business owner slash speaker for free? There's no such thing as nothing for something. And I think one of the most powerful lessons that made me learn that was a Russell Brunson book. Russell Brunson created ClickFunnels, a sales software. Mm. And he said he has this $25,000 high ticket offer that he does once a year where he brings a bunch of cool people together for a conference and they all share how they make eight figures <laughs> and how they run their online businesses and how they sell their products and all their funnels and all this stuff. And he said that as a gift, he gave this ticket to a bunch of his family members or friends for free. You know, here, come for free, man, come along and enjoy. And the only difference he found was that the people he gave the ticket to for free, didn't actually end up creating any business, let alone a seven or eight figure business. And everyone else who paid $25,000 started this business that was huge now making seven, eight figures. And he said the only difference was that they valued what they bought. So there's also a psychological aspect to investing in yourself. When Skin you part, yeah, you part with money. It's like, I need to get something out of this now because I paid for it. Whereas sure. if it's free, uh, who cares? And I've experienced the same thing with high performing student. People reach out and say, Sam, I don't have $19. Now, look, there's certain people who don't have $19. There was a lot of kids who said, I don't have $19, and then I see them buying stuff all the time. So mm -hmm. those are the kids who aren't going to get anything out of it. And it's hard for me to empathize with kids who actually have the money but don't want to spend $19 because I've spent over $40,000 on coaching and conferences and a whole slew of things that I wouldn't take a cent back. 
because it's turned me into the person I am today. So anyone who's hesitant about investing in their self, you're going to stay where you are now for the rest of your life. And the cost of that is having lots of money, I guess, and not the knowledge that you desire to do what you really want to do. Or you could part with the money, level yourself up, and two years later make a 10x return on your investment in skills and sharing your gifts with the world. So if anyone's listening who's hesitant, now's the best time. Everyone's at home. You have so much time to learn something new. Come out of this thing with a whole new skill set and go do the thing you're really supposed to do. Well said, man. Well said. If there was one place for people to start kind of low hanging fruit, maybe that first step when it comes to personal development, I know you and I have a lot of shared mentors that we like, like Darren Hardy, Jim Rohn, guys like that. Any, any place you would start because it's made a big impact on your life? Decide what you want to do first. Like, you know, what do you want to become great at? Is it playing the piano? I'm not going to tell you to read books on speaking. Like you're going to go read books. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to give some open blanket advice until you decide, yo, this is what I want. Books are great, but a billion, there's a billion books. There's millions of books printed every single year. Reading them all isn't going to help you until you decide, you know, this is what I need right now or what I want to improve upon. So decide on that first and then go seek out the knowledge, the specialized knowledge that will help you become an expert in that thing. Because, you know, Think and Grow Rich talks about there's a principle and one of the principles is specialized knowledge. And I've started to realize that the biggest differentiator between people who are madly successful, not financially, but also just in life is that they just think differently. And I'm really studying the book, Think and Grow Rich. And I try and always remind myself, am I following the principles or am I not? And if I'm not, I try to get back on and there's 13 of them. I highly encourage you guys to read the book multiple times and keynote it and make notes and refer to it often. But there's one principle about specialized knowledge that states the person who makes the most money and the biggest impact is the person who goes very deep in a subject or, and you don't have to do this. Like don't, don't take my advice for it, but someone that works at McDonald's and there's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's doesn't have specialized knowledge. Anyone can grab a spatula and flip a burger, but someone who can do surgery on your brain has a very specialized knowledge around that. No one can just crack a head open and do surgery. So they get paid in proportion to the amount of specialized knowledge they have. Yeah. So true value delivered. Yeah, choose something and go deep in it, you know? I like that's great advice. I've got Think and Grow Rich up there in that pile. I should revisit it, give it a give it another go. While we're traveling, Ian and I, I know we're going to have a lot of time to read and write and work out, so I'll make sure to get back on the Think and Grow Rich Napoleon Hill grind. Um, yes, as, we round, as we round this show out, man, I just have a couple more questions. I want to talk about the high-performing student. I've been alluding to it as we have uh, been talking today. It seemed like after you busted your knee, um, you know, you showed up at Speaker Slam, you did a kick-ass one-minute pitch, and then I saw your kind of this trajectory of your life. It was just going up and up and up, and you were making all the right moves, investing in yourself, totally crushing it. Um, And like many people, in March when COVID hit, your business was really impacted. I'm sure you had, you know, a multitude, a variety of speeches already booked and planned going to schools. And, uh, you know, the event event business was really kind of, you know, they, you know, they pulled the pants down right on that business, that industry. And so how did you pivot? It seems like this high performing students program is one of the ways you did that, but how did you recover from those, that challenging wake up call? Mm -hmm. The first 
thing I did was sit on the couch for a month and do nothing. I don't want to paint the picture that I'm this business guru. My business is, is taking a huge toll even to this day. I'm not doing the work that brings me the most joy. Like I love speaking in person in front of kids. I'm doing it virtually a lot. Funny enough, I have a keynote tomorrow in person, which is like really weird. It's socially distanced. Wow, in the man. Gym. Yeah. Good for, you. Good for you. That's cool. Yeah, but I need to wear a medical mask and it's all this craziness. Anyways, COVID hit. I had a whole month or maybe even two where I was moping around telling myself this story that all the work I want to do is impossible. And you know this, the stories we tell ourselves become our reality. And so that led to me leading more towards addiction and away from commitment and spending lots of time on my device, lying around, not doing much, stopping my morning and nighttime routines, not reading books, just moping, saying, poor me. And after about two months, I had a call with a mentor, Chris Cummins, and he basically said, okay, Sam, sounds good. Get a job. And just point blank said, okay, dude, no problem. There's no, you're not losing any honor in deciding to stop this work. And right away I was like, no, like, this is not what I wanted to do. And he's like, okay, so what are your options? He's like, you can continue to mope and live at home for the rest of your life, or you can decide there's a huge opportunity here because the audience that you serve needs what you have now more than ever, and no one's really doing a great job delivering to them. And I was like, wow, this guy's right. And so you're seeing my little setup here. I have a nice mic with these headphones, a nice 4K camera. I got some nice You look professional, man. Thanks. I built a little in-home studio and I'm still actually building on it now. I'm getting a second and third camera coming. I'm building a green screen space. So there's a lot that you can do once you shift that story in your head. So that was the first thing I did. What followed was the building of a program called the High Performing Student, which is an online course that teaches anyone, not just young people, but mostly it's for students because that's who I target, teaches them foundational self-development skills creating a vision, creating goals, creating morning and nighttime routines, creating accountability relationships, learning how to create standards and values and boundaries. Wow. And it's, it's been going great. I've had 330 kids go through it so far. And good for you, it's, man. thanks bro. I, I took my hands off the pedal right now. I'm not pushing it much. I get like one or two people signing up now per month. Not a lot at all. I, because I took all their feedback. I had them all fill out a survey and, and then asked, Hey, what do you really want? I just assumed that I know what you want and I asked them what they wanted and it was a little bit different than what I created. It was a lot of what I created, but they wanted a lot other things as well. And so I'm building a second version, which I'm aiming to have done by October 15th. That's the mental deadline. And once that's done, I'll launch the second version with a website and like the whole kind of program. So we'll see how Phenomenal. it goes. Yeah. Most of the things that you want to do in your life only happen if you create some arbitrary deadline and they, they, they're all arbitrary, but you, you know, you said to yourself, October 15th, the second version is coming out. Um, you know, that, that's the same thing that Ian and I are working through where it's like, are we ever going to do this global travel trip? And it's like, not unless we book a ticket <laughs> and choose a date to leave. So good for you, man, for, for setting that goal. Um, I want to ask you a question about the program because you, you set up a couple of modules I want to ask you about goal setting, especially for young people. I think that's the best way to, to end, end this podcast is around having a vision for yourself and, and knowing where you want to go. What percentage of students or young people do you think came into the program and already had goals, written goals, they knew where they were going? What percentage? Probably zero. <laughs> I don't think many people take the time to sit down with a pen and paper and decide what they want. 
they just coast through life and they take other people's advice. There were some students who were already on a great path. Don't get me wrong. My program doesn't cater to the kid who sits down and plays video games all day. I'm not interested in converting a student um, into a into a self-help type of junkie and then getting them on their path. I'm more interested in the kid who's kind of lost, but like they want to improve. If you there's don't a desire. Want, yeah, there's no desire. I'm not coming to implant that desire if i do by speaking great but i'm not gonna reach out to you and convince you to do this thing and shove it it's down an your uphill throat. battle man <laughs> yeah so that being said most of the kids who came in they wanted to learn they wanted to grow some of them already had goals but i would say most of them didn't really know what they wanted or what they were doing and i think that reflects a lot of the research that you and i have both done around goal setting is virtually nobody has written goals of what they want to accomplish and where they want to go. And so what would you say is the impact you've seen on students going from having no clear written goals to doing the program, following the modules um, and putting some goals on paper? What have you seen happen? I had this one kid send me an email and he basically said, Hey Sam, I started doing your program, didn't know what to expect, and I finished, and now I wake up every morning at 5 a.m., do a workout before starting my day, and I'm in bed before 11 p.m. while all my buddies are texting me, asking me to play video games. Thank you so much. So that just goes to show that, like, I'm not saying everyone's going to go all zen and wake up at 5 a.m. after watching some videos, but... If you choose to invest in yourself and want to grow and want to change, things will follow. I'm not taking credit for transformations because it's not me. I just pose information and if you act on it, something has to give. And it's like what you said earlier. It's either addiction or commitment or it's commitment or addiction. Like you can reverse them. It's the inverse. And so a lot of people start my program addicted to certain things. I give them other alternative actions they can take. When they start taking the alternative actions, Things are going to change. If you replace playing video games to working out a year from now, you're going to be a buff dude or a buff girl. Uh, and that's just the consequence of the actions and decisions you make. So it's not my transformations. It's the students. In terms of goal setting, I started diving deep in like research. Why is this stuff actually important? Because everyone talks about it, but no one really mentions here's scientifically why you need to set goals. And most of the research is still kind of wishy-washy. Although there was one thing I found that was really interesting. It's called the reticular activating system. I'm no brain scientist or neuro neurologist or anything like that. But the way it explained it in this article was that your RAS system acts like a filter in your brain between conscious and subconscious thoughts. And we have thousands of subconscious thoughts every day, thousands of conscious thoughts. And the thing that separates the conscious from the subconscious thoughts is this RAS system. Now it acts as a filter, so it pulls certain subconscious thoughts and makes them conscious. And what, what allows it to choose which thoughts to pull is what you choose to focus on. So when you say, dad, we're playing the yellow car game while you're driving on the highway to the cottage, and all of a sudden you start seeing yellow cars everywhere, it's because your RAS system subconsciously was already noticing the cars, but didn't know you wanted to notice them. Sure. Once you set the intention to notice them, now you start seeing them everywhere. It's, it's the same reason why when you set a goal to invest in homes, and maybe this was you too, I want to I wanna buy my first home and invest in real estate. And then you're walking downtown 
and you walk past this good-looking guy talking to this girl and and you hear the word invest in real estate it's like <laughs> your your mind just clings onto it and you go oh my god they're talking about real estate i need to be in that conversation and so setting a goal is like setting an intention and setting it mm. an intention tells your res system focus on this thing and anything that can help me get this thing so that's why it's impactful to set goals from a scientific perspective. And if that doesn't convince you enough to set some intentions, then I don't know what will. Um, because you see how impactful it is on the yellow car game. It does the same mm -hmm. thing in your life. So, Yeah, it's crystal clear. It comes back to the idea you had earlier about like, what do you want? Because yep. the personal development you do is going to be based off of the things that you want to bring into your life. So if you want to learn piano, buy books about piano. Um, and you'll start to see piano show up more and more in your life. Um, like as an example, as soon as I decided that I wanted to travel, then I bought the book Vagabonding and I bought books about minimalism because I know I can't carry much with me. And like those things started to come into my life. I started to pay attention to them and hear the conversations about them exactly as you said. So I think that's, I think it's beautiful. I just want to kind of wrap up this show and let you know that the ripples of you as a role model you will never be able to quantify my friend you are making a huge impact on the world and so i want to uh, thank you and let you know acknowledge you for the difference you're making how much i admire you and and others in your life admire you uh, we're gonna miss you on social media man um but uh, I'm, I'm happy you're doing what's best for for you and your mental health but like man keep keep pushing keep doing your thing um, you know, you got a lot of people in your court, including me. And so I'm looking forward to the difference you're going to make for these students. Uh, good luck on your speech tomorrow. And I hope if you're open-minded to it, that we keep doing more of these episodes because uh, you're a voracious learner. And the more you learn, the more you have to share. And I think my audience would definitely love to see and hear from you again, man. I'm happy to. And I love the open-minded sales question. <laughs> of course I'm open-minded, John. <laughs> uh, actually, I own this book because of Sam Demma, exactly what to say. I'm glad it was right there within reach. Um, are you open-minded is one of the questions. Uh, is there any last parting words you want to share? Something that's on your mind, something that's on your heart that our listeners can take away? You know what you need to do. You know what you want to do. You're shying away from it. You have so much power and knowledge beyond your wildest dreams. And you're playing super small. And I think if this can just be a reminder that there's so much more for you in the world and you underestimate yourself way more than you think, you could do huge things. And I hope everyone listening, including yourself, takes it to heart because there's huge work to be done and there's no one more fitting to do it. Mr. Dema, you are the man. Thanks for your time and best of luck tomorrow in those speeches, bro. Just amen. Talk soon, brother. <laughs>